Yes, I'm free. Oh, thank you, my friend, my dear friend. Um, welcome to another episode of Friend Request, episode 10, I believe. Uh, I'm joined by... I'm Jennifer Uncle of Scanline Media, and I'm joined by... Colin Detmar, also of Scanline Media. Hello, folks. Anyway, this is a podcast where we essentially each bring two relationships to the table from various video games, and we talk about them at length, and just go from there, essentially. Um, yeah. Do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Uh, I can go first. Um, okay. So the one I'm bringing is one I think I think both of ours this week we're familiar with, but I think you know mine better than I know yours. So mine this week is the Squid Sisters from Splatoon, Callie and Mary. Nice. I I I, I always am like my brain sort of stops for a second. Is like, am I supposed to say Mari because it's a calamari joke? <laughs> but it, I think it's Mary. Um. Anyway, so Kelly and Mary are um they're they're inklings from from the squid universe from the Splatoon universe, excuse me. They are humanoid squids who can transform into into, you know, kids or squids as the as the meme goes. Um and they are idol singers basically. They started out there's some like you can both in concept art and also in game through like various lore pickups. You can learn about a little bit about their history, like starting out as like kids singing in like a, like a, a folk singing contest and stuff. And they sort of captured the heart of a nation and became uh, singing idols. Um, the nature of Splatoon as it stands right now, two days before the release of Splatoon two is that, there isn't a whole ton to their lore, so this is probably going to be a pretty uh, quick hit here. But basically, the dynamic between them is they are cousins. Um, Callie is kind of an energetic, enthusiastic, and, and friendly girl, and Marie is still fairly friendly, but pretty uh, sarcastic. And uh, I don't know, how would you... I almost want to say bored, but that seems a little... I. I guess it's kind of that sort of, uh, both of them have, uh, beauty marks on opposite eyes, essentially. Well, under opposite eyes. And, uh, it kind of seems like an affected sort of, I'm too beautiful to care sort of look. And, uh, it's one of those things where she seems pretty earnest most of the time. She just likes to hide it beneath a veneer of beauty, more or less. Yeah, she's kind of she kind of goes for an aloof thing, but also you you do get the sense like the the, the that veneer cracks sometimes, and it's kind of like oh, some of this is is a is a facade, huh? Um, and so they act as the uh the announcers for you know like the in game announcers just sort of like announcing events and and sometimes like patch rollouts, which is kind of weird. Um, for the Splatoon universe, um, you get to see a lot of them on the TV in that game. And they also are the mascots for Splatoon 1's Splatfests, which are, you know, like, pick your side for various classic debates like cats versus dogs, right? <laughs> um, one of them will represent cats, the other dogs. Um, I think Marie was cats and Callie was dogs, but I'm not sure about that. Um, 
But anyway, they ran a bunch of those. They ran them for a year. And then the last one was sort of cutting right to the point, a splat fest of Callie versus Mary, who's better. Um, and Mary won that one. And that has had some consequences, apparently, for the sequel, where Mer- uh, Callie disappears and is getting involved with the villains in some way. We're not sure, like, whether she's a hostage or has has joined their side or whatever. But it's kind of... Like, the plot is, is, is what it is. It's not that... Like, you know, their relationship is tied up in it, but, like, it's not like, let's talk about the plot of Splatoon 2, right? That's not what we're we're here for. Um, the reason it's interesting, I think, is because mostly of their dynamic, we just get to see them, like, bantering back and forth in a way that is, like... Like, Marie is sort of jokey and a little bit mean to Callie in the way that only really good friends can be. Um, and it's really interesting to see they had these series of little, like... Not even short stories, because they're not long enough to be short stories, but these little snippets of, of writing that they did to sort of set up Splatoon 2 from Mary's perspective as Callie got more and more distant in the wake of the Splatfest and then disappeared. And it's really an interesting picture of those two characters where, I mean, you always got a sense that they were best friends, but you didn't know that they lived together and that, like, once Callie disappears, Mary, it's, it's sort of like, oh, this is actually kind of a, a codependent relationship because suddenly Marie is just like, this this all sucks and I'm really lonely and this is terrible. And she really gets pretty bummed out. I don't know. It's not like, this isn't going to be the most like dynamic or like remarkable relationship we ever had on this show. But it's it's a really fun one just to have, like, it adds a lot of color to Splatoon, it adds personality to a game that has a lot of general, like, tonal personality, but not a lot of personality in terms of characters that have personalities. Um, and it's really nice that those two characters have, have their, their good, good friendship, and they're going to do more with it going forward, so. Totally, it, and it's, it's really difficult to take a almost primary, well, it's more or less primarily a multiplayer game and add enough life to it to have two distinct characters or a few, depending on what you think about the retailers, but they're kind of one note. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to just see them take what is so predominantly a, what would otherwise be a lobby made by practically any other company and turning into something that's really lively and full of spark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope we'll get more development of of these two characters in Splatoon Two. I mean, there's there's every indication that that Marie is going to spend a lot of time, like sort of as the voice in your ear in the campaign, and that's encouraging. Apparently, she doesn't like pineapple on pizza, which is disappointing. But you know, we all have we all have our flaws. Indeed. So I I should probably bring up um since you were talking about sisters I, well sisters at least in name. <laughs> I decided to bring two brothers who are actually the worst brothers I've ever heard of, more or less. Um, there's Cirrus and Akinar from Mist, which is this long-running series, which primarily these days is known as that one game everyone bought who also had a CD drive back in the 90s. But uh, 
for a game that kind of has that reputation, those two characters actually, their whole bloodline is kind of messed up in really shocking ways. Like, um, so they're the sons of this uh, person named Atris, who basically the gist of the Mist games is they write these books that link to other worlds called Ages. When you press the panel on one of them, you basically get transported to these places. And, um, of course, as this wise person who is raising a few sons, Atris goes, oh, I should teach my kids how to do this. But what ends up happening is they kind of take the wrong lessons from it. And basically, Cirrus's whole thing is he's kind of this party dude who likes stealing things. So at some point, behind his dad's back, he continuously steals and plunders from the natives of these other ages, essentially. Then his brother, Akinar... He's just this really ill-tempered, violent person who likes to torture and kill people. So he's also kind of doing that in the background. And eventually they just get tired of their father. So they trap him in what's called a prison book, which is essentially a book where if you touch it, you get trapped in it. And if the only way you can get out is someone else taps it, which traps them instead. So what they essentially do, they trap their father, they burn his entire library down of all the other linking books, and somehow it's kind of unclear how this happened, but the two of them get themselves trapped into their own separate prison books, which are right in in the middle of the library. By the time you get there, you're not aware that any of this has happened, so each one of the brothers is going like, Oh, don't trust him. He's the bad one. Um, find my pages and let me out and everything will be cool. You can just trust me. And of course, if you trust either one of them, you get screwed. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing you have to do is if you find a way to release their father without getting trapped yourself, he goes back to the library and burns his own son's books. And the rest of the series, except for maybe Riven, is about how these two brothers' actions have screwed with so many other people that people kind of have a grudge for the whole Atrus family. Like, uh... The main plot in Mist 3 Exile is one of the survivors of one of Cirrus and Akinar's whole, um, whole, I don't know what you would call what they did, their whole pillaging and murdering. Tirade? Yeah, their tirade. (laughs) He basically storms in and becomes the antagonist for the whole game, basically being like, hey, your sons did this to me, so I'm taking your stuff and I'm probably going to destroy it as retaliation. And then, at when it gets to Mist 4, they pretend like they've been... Well, they claim to have been reformed. They come up with a... They come up with some sort of excuse to basically make it so that it's possible to leave without trapping someone else. But it turns out, while Akinar has been kind of just hanging out with animals and kind of softening by 
getting to know them and just being around nature a ton. Sirius has been kind of caught in this whole crystal dimension and he's just become a lot crueler and he basically breaks both of them out and plots to kill Atrus's youngest sister, Yisha, essentially. And oh. it's kind of interesting because the older brother, Akinar, the one that was always kind of causing trouble, the one that was straight up murdering people, has something of a redemption arc by saving the sister, while Sirius goes into straight up, I'm going to possess your sister and take control of this whole family and continue murdering and stealing things. So there's this idea that... There's this idea that there is some sort of redemption between the two of them, even though they hate each other's guts. There's still a way out, even when you're just this murderous psychopath for maybe 25% of your life. And, uh... Which is kind of weird, but... Yeah. yeah. The, they're really engaging as antagonists, because... Especially in the first game, just seeing them constantly trying to throw dirt on the other brother, like, oh, you should go into this room. I, I'll give you this code to his room. He's got some things hidden there. And then the other one's like, Listen, buddy, if you let me out, I'm going to give you all this treasure. That'll be cool, huh? <laughs> so it's just really interesting to see these two brothers who are basically brothers only in name only because they are so willing to stab each other at nearly every opportunity if it means that they'll get ahead in some way. What if you were so shitty your dad locked you in a book and then burned it? Yep. <laughs> and, the, and the dad has to do the same thing to his father at some point but that's a whole different story oh boy yeah i i uh i did not play the missed sequels i played missed one but i do remember like playing it and getting both endings where like okay so i saved this guy and then he like starts laughing and then traps me in the book and runs away well, that kind of sucks. I guess I'll go with the other guy. Well, this guy sucks too. It's like, well, well, fuck both of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, it, the, the impressive part about uh, sort of behind the scenes, that was basically both of the brothers were basically being played by the two people who made the game. And you can really tell that that's the case, but... There's something charming to even their sociopathic antics in that game because it's obviously an amateur acting job, but something about the way acting gets transmitted through these moving books just makes it so campy and entertaining. Like, mm -hmm. just hearing them affect voices like, Oh, Cirrus? Can you please let me out? Yeah, the overacting is pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they, if they do trap you, they decide to rip out all the pages while laughing maniacally. <laughs> yeah, and like at first it's one by one and they start doing like three or four at a time and just cackling and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, fuck those guys. Indeed. 
All right, folks, thanks for joining us on another episode of Friend Request. We will be back next week, but until then, I want to give a big thank you to Krista Lee for use of her track Hearts Burning Bright off of the album Welcome to the Fantasy Zone. You can find that and also other albums of hers at opoorpup.bandcamp.com. If you like the work we did here, you can go to scanlandmedia.com where you can find other articles we've written and also other podcasts that we do. And if you like those and want to help us make more, you can go to patreon.com scanlandmedia. Any money you contribute there helps us cover more games by getting us hardware and software. None of it goes into our pockets. Thanks so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. Have a good one.